We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Gracious God, thank you that you have brought us into this room this morning because you are kind and you are good. And you see us in all of our brokenness and in all of the ways that we are not the people we want to be and in all of the ways we're not the people that you have made us to be. And rather than turning away from us and rather than just turning to us, You have pursued us, and you have sought us, and you have brought us here this morning because we need to hear from you. We need the words of life that only you can offer to us. We do not just need some human inspiration this morning. We definitely do not need my words. God, we need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would come and speak to us now through your word and by your spirit and that you would give us ears to hear all that you would say to us this morning. Speak to us in such a way that our lives would be changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me grab a little music stand here. Uh, Good morning. My name is Brent and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this summer we are actually going through a series in the Psalms. And we're calling this series Authentic Faith because the Psalms, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Psalms are this book of 150 chapters. There's 150 Psalms. And they are a guide for us. They, uh, they, they, they show us what a relationship with God is meant to look like. They show us that God does not want a superficial relationship with you. They show us that the real God wants a real relationship with the real you. He wants every part of you. And that's what we're looking at in this series. He wants your worry. He wants your guilt. He wants your depression. He wants your doubt. He wants your cynicism. He wants your envy. 
He wants your joy. God says, I want all of you, every part of you. And I want you to learn how to bring all of you to all of me. And this is why John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of the soul. I love that. An anatomy of the soul because there's not a single part of the human experience that the Psalms don't talk about. There's not a single part of the human experience that the Psalms leave out. And this is what I love about the Bible. See, the Bible is not detached from your life. Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt like the, the, the Bible is not relevant to your life? Have you ever felt like it doesn't really speak to your life? Have you ever felt like it's, it's, it's kind of this old book that is so far removed and it is totally out of touch with your life? Friends, read the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, you find that the Bible is not out of touch with your life. The Bible understands every part of your life. You may feel like there are parts of the Bible that you don't understand, but the more you read the Psalms, the more you realize that the Bible actually understands you. And so today we're looking at Psalm 13, which is a psalm of lament. And we're going to talk about lament today. And, and in case that doesn't really interest you, or you think, gosh, should have slept in, you know, uh, if that doesn't really strike you, I want you to notice something in this passage. That David goes from being overwhelmed by his sorrow and his sadness in verses 1 through 4, to in a single verse he goes from sorrow and sadness to joy and celebration. You know, life is not kind of hard. Life is crushingly hard. And at some point, we will all be asking the question of how do you go from verses 1 through 4 to verses 5 and 6? Is it possible to actually go through trials and difficulties in life and not be stuck in a cul-de-sac of despair, but to actually come out the other side with joy and with hope. And maybe your circumstances have you asking that question this morning. Is there anything that can help? Yes, lament. Lament, lament. It transformed David's life and it can transform our lives. I want to look at three things this morning from this text. Very simple. What is lament? Why do we need lament? And how do we do lament? What is it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? All right, lament is one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us, but here is the great tragedy. Very few Christians understand lament. Very few. I, I, I had a shocking realization this week. I pulled off, uh, you know, I spent four years in seminary, and you've kind of been reading stuff every book, so I got a decent amount of books, okay, on God and the Bible and faith and all this stuff, and I went through my bookshelf, and I pulled every book that I could think of that, could, that would have a chapter on lament. You know what I realized? Number one, there weren't many of them. Number two, the only ones that I had 
were written by authors of color. Not a single book that I could find on lament that was written by a white author. Now that is a whole other sermon in itself. But here is my point. Many Christians do not understand lament. We don't talk about lament. We don't practice lament. You know, the Psalms, there's 150 of them. I saw this week that one scholar said 70% of the Psalms are lament. Now the Psalms were actually sung in Old Testament worship. These were the songs that they sang when God's people gathered together. I also saw this week, do you know how many of the top 100 contemporary Christian songs are about lament right now? Zero percent, according to one author. See, they were singing songs of sadness and anguish, but we kind of come in and we think that worship is supposed to be all of these like happy, clappy songs about how great God is. Do you remember the the Lego movie? Do you remember that everything is awesome? Sometimes that's how we think like worship is supposed to be. Everything is awesome. Everything is not awesome. And the Psalms are honest about that. It's why they're filled with lament. So what is lament? I mean, what is it? To lament does not simply mean to be sad. It does not simply mean to be grieved. It does not simply mean to be angry. No, lament is what we do with our sadness. It is what we do with our grief. It is what we do with our anger. And Rich Viedas, who's a pastor in Brooklyn, says this. He says, biblically speaking, to lament is to intentionally direct our sorrow and sadness to God, which positions us to be transformed by God's grace. Let me say that again. Biblically speaking, to lament is to intentionally direct our sorrow and sadness to God, which positions us to be transformed by God's grace. And when you define lament in these terms, what you realize is many of us do not lament. We all feel sad. We all feel angry. We all feel sorrow, but we don't all lament. To lament, you have to take these things to God. Have you ever heard someone say, God will never give you more than you can handle? That is the dumbest thing that has ever been said in human history. Because life will bring into your path things that are far too big for you. And they are far too overwhelming for you. And the beauty of lament is that the God of the universe is inviting us to take all of the things that feel too heavy for us to carry and to put them on him, to bring them to him, because they are not too heavy for him. And that is exactly what David does in this passage. Look at verse 1, how he begins. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David asked how long, not one time, not two times, not three times, four times. David says, God, how long? David is being incredibly honest with God in this moment. He feels forgotten by God. 
He feels abandoned by God. He is looking at his life and he is going, God, I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't feel you. God, where are you? And you see, listen, I, <laughs> I'm from the South, okay? And I don't mean Southern California. I mean like the South South. And, you know, the number one virtue for Southern people is being nice. Even when they're mad at you, they are still nice to you. They can be, they can hate you in their heart and they will look at you in your face and say, bless your heart, bless you. But really they're just cursing you, okay? And you see, you don't express anger. You do not do that. You hide anger. But Psalm 13 is inviting us into a very different relationship with God. And see, this is so different from how we tend to think about spiritual maturity. We think that spiritual maturity means suppressing sadness and anger. You don't talk to God like this. No, 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 no. Spiritual maturity is expressing these things, even when it is directed towards God. I mean, some of you are thinking, is it, I mean, is it really okay to talk to God like this? Friends, the very reason that God put this into the Bible tells us that he invites us to pray like this. He wants to hear our true feelings, even when they include feelings of anger at him. Because we all have moments where God seems silent. We all have moments where God seems far away. We all have moments where God seems to not be doing anything about suffering and injustice in our lives in our world, and Psalm 13 says, how do you respond to that? You respond through honest lament, or what Pastor Eric Mason calls worshiping God through unedited grief. And this is all over the Psalms. Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if those words sound familiar, it's because Jesus himself prayed them. See, even Jesus lamented. And we are called to follow in his way. That means if he lamented, we are called to lament. So, why do we need it, though? Let's talk about that for a minute. Why do we need it? I want to talk about this in two ways. I want to talk about why we need it for our world and why we need it for our own lives. Why do we need it for our world? Well, what's really interesting about this psalm is that we don't, we don't know the specific reasons that David is lamenting. But David says in verse 2 that his enemies are trying to triumph over him. This is one of the reasons that he's lamenting. And what we know from David's life is there were several times this happened. This happened with uh, King Saul, who tried to have David killed. It happened with David's own son, Absalom, who tried to kill him. See, da David faced real evil. He experienced real injustice in the world. And when he experienced these things, he cried out to God because he believed, this is very important, David believed 
that the world was not the way that it was supposed to be. And you see, under every lament lies that assumption. Under every lament lies the assumption that the world is not the way God meant it to be. I want to talk to those of you in this room this morning who are not convinced of the claims of Christianity. You might identify as atheist. You might identify as agnostic. You're here because you're, you're, you're trying to figure out if you could ever believe these things. And one of the things that I hear people say a lot is, I cannot, one of the reasons I cannot believe in God is because of all of the suffering and injustice in the world. I mean, if God really is all-powerful, and if God really is loving, and if God really is good, then why is the world so messed up? Now, there, are, there is no doubt that, that these things make belief in God problematic. But if you think about it for just a moment, the existence of evil and suffering are even more problematic if you take God out of the equation. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his own journey from atheism to belief in Christianity, and he says this, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying that it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust. And consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. Lewis is saying, if there is no God... What basis do you have for lament? What basis do you have to cry out how long? Because there is no such thing as the way the world ought to be. No, the world just is what it is. There is no such thing as justice and injustice. There is no such thing as good and evil. Without God, you can't lament. And without lament, the world is in utter despair utter despair. There is nothing wrong with the strong conquering the weak. There's nothing wrong with exploitation and violence. There's nothing wrong with the powerful abusing the powerless. Without lament, the world is in utter despair, but with lament, we we are actually able to say, no, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not right. This is not just. This is not what God wants. See, the world needs lament. I mean, if you really think about it, society actually falls apart without lament. We need it for our world, but we also need it for our own lives. If if you do not learn to lament, it will do great harm to you psychologically and relationally. You know why? Because anger and sadness never just go away. If you just try to deny them or suppress them, it always pops back up in some form or fashion. It's like trying to push a beach ball under the water. Have you ever tried to do that? It always comes back up and never in the same place where you push it down. 
You see, anger and sadness undealt with, unlamented, they will do great harm to you and they'll do great harm to those around you. One, one author puts it this way. He says, pain that does not get transformed gets transmitted. Pain that, that does not get transformed gets transmitted. Now think about that for just a moment. Think about all of the ways that unprocessed pain has spilled out into your life. If you've been betrayed, maybe you've been betrayed in a relationship. Maybe you've been betrayed in love. Maybe you've been betrayed in marriage and you could say to yourself, I will never, ever trust again. Or if you've experienced racism or or prejudice, you, you can begin to generalize all people of a certain race or culture. Or if you've been sexually abused, you can end up hating all men. Now these, friends, these are real atrocities. You ought to be rightly angry, but it is so easy for a general anger to overtake you and to make your heart hard and bitter and cold. See, pain that is not transformed gets transmitted. It gets transmitted in your friendships. It gets transmitted in your family relationships. It gets transmitted in your marriage, and it gets transmitted onto your children. And what I love about this psalm is that David's pain gets transformed. In a single verse, David goes from sadness to celebration. He goes from crying out in verses 1 through 4 to saying in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I mean, what just happened? What happened between verse 4 and verse 5? Maybe David, maybe he threw in, you know, a Prozac or some Zoloft and he just like had a total mood swing. You know, or maybe David is putting on kind of this religious front. You know, maybe he's in the temple and he's crying out to God, how long, O Lord? And another religious person comes walking by in the temple and David sees them and all of a sudden now he's got to cover up, you know. How long, O Lord? But I will praise you. How long, O Lord? What happens? Here's what I think happened. David's pain gets transformed through lament. And he said, well, how does that actually work? Because I'd like for that to happen in my life. I feel a little stuck. How does it work? Uh, I have a child. I have multiple children, actually. But I have one in particular who feels things very strongly. Uh, Lots feels things very intensely. Lots of emotions, lots of tears, all the time. And one of the things that God is teaching me through this child, it's been God's gift to me, is how to enter into people's sadness. And one of the things that I'm learning about myself is that I'm not very good at it. Because when people get sad, I want to fix them. I kind of go into problem-solving mode. 
Let's fix this. Let's make this better. And a couple months ago, this child was particularly upset about something. They were in their room uh, crying, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I'm going in, and I'm going to fix it. And she looked at me, and she said, all she needs is a hug. And I said, no, I'm going in, and I'm going to fix it. And so I walked in and I began to interrogate this child. What's wrong? Why are you sad? Do you need to go talk to someone? Why can't you just snap out of this? What do you need? Total silence. Not even eye contact. And then finally... I walked over and I sat down next to this child on the bed and I put my arms around her and I gave her a big hug and I said, I love you. Are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. (laughs) And she ran out of the room. And I was left sitting on the bed by myself going, what in the world just happened? See, How does David go from verse 4 to verse 5? How does his pain get transformed? Friends, when we lament, here's what we're doing. We're actually inviting God into our pain and into our sadness. And God steps into that, and he does not walk in and start interrogating us. And he does not walk in and go into problem-solving mode. No, God enters into our sadness. There's this old Christmas hymn. Most churches don't sing it anymore. It's called Once in uh, David's Royal City. And it has this beautiful line. And here's the line. It says, God feeleth for our sadness. He feeleth for our sadness. There is something profoundly mysterious that happens when we lament, when we direct our sorrow and sadness to God. And that is this, our problem doesn't always just get fixed, but we always get transformed because God is the great healer and he is the wise counselor and he transforms us and he transforms our pain so that it does not get transmitted onto us and onto others in ways that are harmful and hurtful. We need lament desperately. So how do we do it? Some of you have been saying, could we have just, I'm, 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 I'm like practical stuff. Tell me what to do, pastor. Could we have just started with point three? No, but we're there. So how do we do it? Well, first, I want to be really practical here, by the way, because Psalm 13 is so practical. How do we do it? First, we pray honestly. Don't pray where you think you should be. Pray where you are. That's what David does in this passage. The Bible does not ask you to not feel what you're feeling. And it doesn't ask you to pretend to feel something that you don't. It invites you to pray whatever you are feeling and to let God meet you there. And sometimes we think, well, I just, I want to say it just right. No, God doesn't want you to say it just right. God wants you to say it honestly. If you're angry, tell him. 
If you're in despair, tell him. If you feel forgotten, tell him. See, we have to be very careful to not just rush to verses 5 and 6 when we pray. Some of us, we we like to just rush to verse 5 and 6, and we just skip right over verses 1 through 4. John Perkins, who was one of the leading voices that came out of the civil rights movement, he's a black pastor and author who has suffered incredible injustice in his life, and he wrote a book called One Blood that I would highly recommend to you. It's on reconciliation in the church. And he says this about Psalm 13, actually, in that book. He says, In our Western world, we do not do well with grief and suffering. Our rugged individualism has trumped the call to shared grief, and many of us believe that it shows a lack of faith to lament. We want to move too quickly to our claims of victory in Jesus, and we neglect the need within our souls to cry out. See, don't rush too quickly to joy and celebration. We need to learn to stay in lament. We don't don't end in lament, but some of us need to learn to stay there a little longer. Pray honestly. Here's the second thing we need to do. Ask boldly. David makes direct request of God in this passage. He says in verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God. When is the last time you asked God for something? I mean, really asked him. See, we, we, we need to ask boldly because when we cry out to God in lament, it is actually an expression of faith, because what we are saying is, God, only you can fix this. I cannot fix this. Only you can fix this. Esau Macaulay says this. He says, lament is an anger born out of powerlessness. It is a cry to the only one who is left to right these wrongs, God himself. We need to ask boldly. And what you begin to see in the Psalms is that that doesn't just mean asking for yourself. It's actually asking for the world around you. It is making request to God about the brokenness in the world around you. There is so much brokenness in our city. There is so much to lament. Homelessness human trafficking, people who are stuck in generational poverty, children who do not have equal access to education, neighborhoods where it is not safe to go outside in the middle of the day. And see, let me ask you a question. Do you look at those things and feel irritated Or do you look at those things and feel your heart break? Do you look at those things and want to get out of the city or away from the city? Or do you look at those things and want to pray for the city? If if God answered all of your prayers for the city this last week, what would be different in this place? 
Would anything be different in this place? So we need to ask boldly for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our city. Number three, we need to learn to lament for a lifetime. We all want to get to verse five and six, but being able to pray verses five and six does not just happen in an instant. And maybe that's what you imagine. You know, you imagine David just kind of sat down and wrote this prayer, and in just kind of a single breath, he went from verse 4 to verse 5. That is probably not the case at all. Scholars think that many of these psalms were written over a period of time, and not just in a single sitting. I mean, that's it. They're songs. That's how people write songs today. Leonard Cohen talks about how he chewed on lyrics for songs for 10 years before he ever finished them. And what that means is that getting to verses 5 and 6 to a place of trust and transformation and celebration does not happen in an instant. It is slow, and it is gradual, and it takes a lifetime. And you have to keep lamenting, and you have to keep crying out, and you have to keep directing your anger and sadness to God. Joy and transformation and celebration will come, but they do not come overnight. Here's the last thing. How do you lament? You have to throw yourself onto the goodness of God. Throw yourself onto the goodness of God. David ends this psalm by saying, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. God has been good to me, is what David says. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts this in his translation of the message. He says, I've thrown myself headlong into your arms. I am celebrating your rescue. David throws himself onto the goodness of God. And how does he do this? This is so important for the Christian life. Because some of you are saying, I feel so stuck. And I want to feel unstuck. I see how my anger is undoing me. And I see how it is undoing people around me. It's hurting people around me. How do I get unstuck? How does David do it? He does it by looking back. See, this is so important. David cannot see the goodness of God in this moment. No, no, he's crying out, how long, O Lord? The only way that he could see it was by looking back. David is saying, God, I cannot see your goodness right now, but you have always been good to me. You were good to me then, and I believe that you're going to be good good to me again. And see, sometimes in our present circumstances, it is very hard to see God's goodness. And so like David, you have to look back. But when we look back, we actually see something about God's goodness that not even David saw. We have a resource that not even David had to be able to say, God has been good to me. You know what it is? It's the cross. On the cross, everything that David prays in verses one through four happens to Jesus. Jesus did not just feel rejected by God. See, we feel rejected by God. The gospel says, if you're in Christ, you are never rejected by God. 
You were utterly accepted by God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But on the cross, Jesus did not just feel rejected by God. Jesus was rejected by the Father. He was, his heart was filled with sorrow. His enemies triumphed over him. And it is only as you see Jesus praying, verses 1 through 4, in his suffering, that we can actually begin to pray verses 5 through 6 in our suffering. And that is why God invites us to this table every week. This table is God's response to all of our laments. At this table, we find a God who is well acquainted with grief. A God who is well acquainted with sorrow. A God who is well acquainted with lament. The prophet Isaiah says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was familiar with suffering. And at this table, we find a God who actually came to do something about all of those things. This table points us forward, friends, to the day when God will make all things new. And it points us back to what sealed that promise for us. Jesus' death and resurrection. That is what enables you and me to say, no matter what life throws at us, no matter where you find yourself this morning, God has been good to me. And God will always be good to me. Even when I can't see it, even when I don't feel it, God is good to me. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often, then he, then he took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that as we come to this table this morning, we find a God who is not detached from our tears, but a God who understands all of our sorrow, all of our anger, all that we lament over. God, would you help us to bring all of that this morning and to cast it on you? Some of us, we, we, have, been, we have been trying to carry burdens that we were not made to carry. We've been trying to carry things in our own strength that are too big for us. But God, nothing is too big for you. Nothing is too great for you. You overcame the grave. You will make all things new. Would you help us to believe that this morning as we eat and drink together? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.